Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, hello. A gentle reminder before we get into today's episode that in just a few weeks, on December 18th, Jenny and myself will be in New York City at Union Hall in Brooklyn doing our very first live event for Buffering the Vampire Slayer. We will be playing through all 12 original songs. We will have trivia. We will have prizes, including fangs donated by Scarecrow Fangs. Hooray! Hooray! And you can find out all about the show and get your tickets at unionhallny.com. Yes. Welcome to another episode of Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we're watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer one at a time. I'm Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And this week we will be discussing season one, episode 11, Out of Mind, Out of Sight. Stay tuned at the end of this episode and every episode for an original song written by us recapping the Buffy episode we're discussing. Today's episode features a story by Joss Whedon, a teleplay by Ashley Gable and Thomas A. Swindon, and direction by Reza Badiyi. Its original air date was May 19th, 1997. Woo! Once upon a time. Out of Mind, Out of Sight is the episode, which is described in IMDb as, As the Queen election approaches, an invisible force attacks Cordelia's closest friends. Queen the queen election. They forgot. <laughs> they forgot the word May because it's the May Queen, and for some reason, without the word May, it's even funnier. Yeah, as the Queen great. election approaches, <laughs> which queen? The Queen of England. Uh, I think just Cordelia is the only queen the show ever sees. That's true. And what a queen she is. And how? What a great Cordelia episode. And you know, you know when you start watching this episode that it's going to be a Cordelia episode. That was the first thing I said to Jenny on our first watch, on my first ever watch, was we saw the opening scene and I looked at her and I said, oh yeah, this is going <laughs> to be a sweet, sweet Cordelia episode. And surely it was. Oh, it was. And also we have Harmony in the very first scene here, which I, uh, I learned that this is the first time we learned Harmony's name. We've seen Harmony before, but um, apparently she was not named until season one, episode 11. So um, I'm a big fan of Harmony. Yeah. Love to see Harmony and Cordelia together. Mercedes McNabb. Yeah. Wow. Look at you knowing Harmony's name just by virtue of your own intelligence. Well, it's my business to know these things. Mm, It is. And what a good business you have running here. Oh, dear. At Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, so when we first see Cordelia walking down the hall with Mitch and Harmony, um, I just want to say I feel like Mitch is really overdoing it 
with blue to match your eyes. Well, as we find out not too long after, M- Mitch is hanging on by a thread here. Mitch mm. is only Mitch is only out for a test run. Yeah, so yeah, he's on probation. Mitch has the same kind of nerves at work here that I feel Buffy has in the first like quarter of this episode because because Buffy is like really on edge and really yeah, like she's having some conflict. she drops all of her weapons and is very embarrassed about it which is not very Buffy like yeah. and later we hear her saying you know I don't even like chocolates when Cordelia <laughs> comes over and it just it, before I understood the direction that the episode was going or like I didn't I didn't understand what was up with Buffy for the mm-hmm. first like you know quarter of the episode because I was like why is she being so like why is she acting so insane why is she hesitating so much? Why is she like making excuses for Cordelia? But then, of course, it comes to light that um, Buffy was like the ver- their version of the May Queen at, at her old school. At her old school in Los Angeles, and she's really feeling very like left out and confused about her place in like the school mm-hmm, and stuff mm-hmm. in this episode. And then there's also that moment immediately following her interacting with Cordelia um, about the May Queen vibe. Yeah, with Willow and Xander having like this inside joke from sixth grade or whatever and she so she doesn't even she has a moment of not feeling like she belongs even to the core group of friends that she feels most comfortable with right but yeah so so you know buffy but anyway because the, the weapon drop happens before the the credits even right this is we see yes. her bump into i mean why the things that come out of right, that bag like, buffy why i was borrowing them for history class from the librarian mr giles show and tell i'm in high school but also is this a plot point that we're supposed to buy into here that buffy just walks around with a purse full of weapons like first of all i have to believe based on her other tastes that that bag is a bag she would want to protect from sharp and spiky <laughs> Weapons. I just feel like you know you carry around a stake, fine, but like there was like a ball, like a like a. a it was like a mace in there, or yeah. a man war, and like a sword. It was just too. It was an arsenal, is what it was. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was a little extreme. Um, but so we go again before the credits. We go right into this scene with Miss um, Miller. Oh boy! And listen, Willow's wearing a Scooby Doo shirt. Yeah, she is. Willow is wearing a Scooby Doo. Shirt. We're only we're only in episode eleven of season one, and they already understand what they are doing. Mm-hmm. They already giving uh you know a nod to the Scooby Gang here. Mm-hmm. It's pretty great. Um, but yeah, Willow's wearing a Scooby shirt, and we're in uh English class, or I guess, Shakespeare or, or class. language arts or whatever something. You, you language call. arts, excuse me. That's what in middle school that was what our English oh, my class was word. called. Language arts. No, Wait, now that you're saying it, I think maybe I also yeah. have language arts. I don't know. I think it's a. I think it's a, a standard. There thing. was like a regular English class, and then there was like a literature class. But yeah, we're we're in Miss Miller's language arts class or Shakespeare class, whatever it is, but they're they're learning or they're reading um The Merchant of Venice. The Merchant of Venice. It's a really amazing like vehicle for the rest of the episode. For sure. Because it's, you know, the teacher is sort of saying is reading this quote um where it's Shylock's monologue where he's saying like where he's essentially saying like am I not a person because I am a Jew? Um like that that he's saying like I'm the outcast of this society and and sort of challenging those listening to him to say like well why are you why are you casting me out? As we're going to see with this episode the like the central point is that um 
this outcast from the school has be has been rendered invisible because mm-hmm. other people haven't seen her, can't see her, don't pay attention to her. You know, she's an outcast. And so, like, that line is sort of drawn. And then, Jenny, you mentioned another parallel that's um, that's pulled out in the Shakespeare reading. Right, right. Well, it's really interesting, uh, if you're not familiar with the basics of The Merchant of Venice, uh, the general outline is that somebody uh, wants some money, they try to borrow it from their friend. Their friend doesn't have the money, but he has a lot of uh, assets at sea. And he goes to uh, Shylock, who's known to be a moneylender, and says, I'll guarantee my friend's loan if you lend him the money. And Shylock says, sure thing, no problem, and I won't charge you interest, but if you have to default on your loan, I will require one pound of your flesh. Yeah. Which is just... <laughs> Ghoulish and so unnecessary, but <laughs> but Shylock was uh, a marginalized person in Venice, and you know, like that kind of plays into where he was coming from with this proposal, right? Right. So right. later in this episode, ultimately in the Merchant of Venice, um, uh, the dude's ships and assets at sea are lost, so he has to default on his loan. So then there's this whole conflict about like extracting the pound of flesh, right? Right. And later in this episode, what we'll see is. Marcy, who's been rendered invisible, um, wants to extract her revenge, which is a sky, kind of maybe not a pound of flesh, but she wants to physically uh, mutilate Cordelia, yeah, uh, and do so publicly, you know, as her as her revenge, as her revenge to teach a lesson, as we know from like all of her little mm-hmm. one-word messages to all of the people who rendered her invisible, right? Which is like, which I think is is a beautiful and complicated part of both stories because in the, you know, in The Merchant of Venice, they would sort of have you believe or maybe not, but like the arc of it is sort of like, this is ludicrous. Like Shylock is so out of control that like he won't agree to taking additional money that he demands that he have this pound of flesh and, and so on and so forth. Um, and, and in this episode, it's sort of like, okay, Marcy, like why are you going to, like why do you have to be this crazy, Marcy, right? That you can't right, just, right. but but the other side of it is what happens when a person is rendered invisible or is treated um, le- like less than the rest of society, mm-hmm. which is the case for, you know, Shylock and, you know, Marcy in, in very different ways. But that that arc is still there of like, is it really crazy to reach a level of anger and frustration where you demand, you know, a pound of flesh in this case or, you know, in, in Shakespeare's case and, you know, where Marcy takes it to this very extreme place? Because what she has experienced is so extreme. Yeah. It is very extreme and, and repeated, you know, over and over again. And not to add a layer of gay to it all, but <laughs> I will say that Marcy is played by the incredible Clea Duvall. Um <laughs> Which is really fun for so many reasons, but for my gay heart, I mean, Clea Duvall is, you know, I, I'm going to say that she's one of our gay, um, one of our gay leaders. She's an, <laughs> she's, an uh, she's iconic. Iconic. She's right. an iconic um, figure in, in queer canon, if you will. I will. Um, yeah, I mean, the first, when I was like um, first away from home and in college, one of the first movies I ever saw in New York City um, actually, the first movie I ever saw in the theater in New York City was But I'm a Cheerleader. I was just recently out, um, and Clea Duvall uh, and Natasha Leone are both in that film. 
So they were some of my very first, you know, role models as to, like, what lesbians could look like. Right, um, right. So very excited to see Clea. Clea? Right? Is it Clea? As far as Clea? we know. I think it's Clea. Um, but very excited to see her here. And, of course, Marcy is not. like Just because Clea Duvall uh, is a queer doesn't mean that all of her characters are. But there is a tie-in, I think, of, of being rendered invisible and being the outcast right, as right. a queer person. So Extra layer of otherness. I'm not making Marcy queer, everybody. I'm just laying down some of my feelings and my thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. So... So all of this happens in the classroom that we, like, hear this uh, this whole thing. There's some really great moments. I mean, Cor- this is just full of Cordelia, wonderful, like, wonderful Cordelia moments. Because after mm-hmm. after she says all this shit that you're like, Cordy, what are you saying? Why are you saying it? She then, like, gets up and is like, um, Miss Miller, I'm, <laughs> I'm really struggling with my paper. And I, I wrote I, just, down, I have all these thoughts, but yeah. I think they all contradict each other. Right? What a line. Can you help me with my outline? What a line. I have all these thoughts, but I'm pretty sure they all contradict each other. If that's not Cordelia in a nutshell, yeah, I don't know what is. There it is. Um, you know, it occurs to me, since we're thinking so much about Cordelia, now and always, but especially in this episode, that we, you and I, clearly love Cordelia. And I know that some of you who listen uh, to us talk about these things have written in to say, like, I don't understand your Cordelia love. <laughs> and on the flip side of that coin, I just want to mention mm-hmm. that, like, we maybe haven't been factoring in the things that happen later right. with, with some other people's character development. And we haven't been giving them advanced credit the way we've been giving Cordelia advanced credit. Yeah. They're both, I mean, I think it's also just the place, like personally for me, it's a place that I am in my, like in with my life right now, Cordelia. What you want is Cordelia. What I want, I'm striving to be a strong, outspoken uh, advocate and mm-hmm. a strong, outspoken lady. And centered on self-care. And centered on, yes, center. I struggle with centering myself because I like to take care of others first. So, like, right, Cordelia right. is my patronus in a way. Wow. Um, right now. Because, but, well, but, like, you know, she, she carries elements that I strive for and that I need for strength in my own life. So that's, right. like, that's why I think I spend so much time so excited about Cordelia because I'm like, okay, you know, I definitely don't want to be the girl in class who's like, Shylock should get over himself. <laughs> That's not what I'm striving no, for. No, no, no. But, um, but yeah, you're right. Sorry. I, I, t- I derailed you a little bit, Jenny, but no, I did no, understand no, no. what I, you were saying. I got where I was going. I just, you know, I'm constantly thinking about, um, as we're trying not to spoil you know, I'm I'm thinking about what filters I'm seeing different characters through and, like, what does that mean for right. me and for our listeners right. and the universe? Totally. But I think, you know, and I think the reason that we love Cordelia has to do certainly with her character arc. But she is, like, season one Cordelia is a really fun Cordelia to, to interact with. Yes. You know? And, like, I think other characters in season one, like, we've obviously tripped over Xander several times in season one. And maybe we're not giving Xander some of Xander's future credit as credit is due. Right, right. But Xander, you know, you really trip over a lot of what Xander has laid down in season one. So it's hard to say, like, you know, it's not like Xander's just, I mean, whatever. Maybe Cordelia's not just fun. I don't know. I'm blinded. I'm no, blinded by she's my so love. fun. <laughs> as, as long as you're not in high school, I think you can see at least a little bit of how Cordelia is fun. Yeah. If you're in high school, I feel like it might be a little too close to. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, just stick with us. Just stick with us. Yeah, hang in there. Stick with Cordy. Meanwhile, something everyone can enjoy. <laughs> Mitch, say, Mitch saying a shitty thing about Cordelia and then getting his ass beat with a baseball bat wielded by apparently no one. Yeah, that's a good, a good moment. It's not her arm I'm looking to be on. And then Marcy taking care of the patriarchy. Thanks, Marcy, yeah, for thanks. wailing on the patriarchy. <laughs> it's a good moment in the boys' locker room, which notably looks so different than the girls' locker room. Yeah, they have nice low lockers so they can make eye contact with people in the next <laughs> row while they're changing, I guess. Uh, how erotic. Really? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Um, but yeah, and then we get to the credits. Beloved credits. And actually, um, IMDb, one of the IMDb trivia facts tells us that this episode is the last episode with the, how do you refer to it? Um, Did I read Oh, that that thing in the intro that's like, in a world. In a world. Except it's not in a world. Yeah, but it's, right. It's like one girl in all the world. It's the last one in season one, I thought you said. Yeah. Right. Okay. (laughs) So, so this scene happens. Mitch is like beaten up. There's a really hilarious um, moment with Snyder here where oh, yeah. he's like, a dead, d- dead. <laughs> <laughs> there are no dead students in this school yeah. this week. This week. <laughs> so great. Uh, and then Buffy's about to head in. Well, first of all, once again, inexplicably, Buffy is allowed to question a student about their recent As attack. he's being rolled out on a, a stretcher. On a stretcher with the principal just looking on. But but they do, you know, this episode does have, like, a lot of uh, b- battle, like, sort of head-to-head moments between Buffy and Principal Snyder because, you know, she tries to go into the locker room and he's like, where are you going? I don't think so. Granted, he does get distracted because he's afraid he's going to get sued, but... Right, yes. and he gets distracted when when Willow says sued, right? And and then he has a conversation with Xander and Willow where they're telling him, sorry, I'm like overexcited, where they're <laughs> telling him that Mitch's dad is like this scary lawyer. And Mitch, if you remember Blaine from Teacher's Pet, Mitch is just like another Blaine. <laughs> and Blaine's dad was a lawyer and he was always threatening people that his dad was going to sue do them. we do we think do you think that um, Mitch's dad is actually a lawyer because I thought that there was a good chance they had just made that whole thing up I believed it but maybe that I'm maybe that's just how good their deception was but yeah everybody's ev- all everybody's the assholes dad. all the assholes have lawyer dads mm-hmm. let that be a lesson to you that's a real I feel like that's a real 90s 80s 90s yes. trope totally totally that lawyers are the worst that actually reminds me of um Christmas vacation isn't aren't um, <laughs> Elaine. I mean, her name isn't Elaine in real life, but Elaine from Seinfeld. Are they lawyers? Are they, I, they just look like maybe they're just... art collectors. <laughs> that's a, that's, that's their how profession. I've always interpreted them. Um, but yeah, so but but my to my point with Snyder and Buffy. You know, he tries to lay down the law here. He gets distracted, but then later, you know, when Harmony is pushed down the stairs. They have this moment, right, where Buffy is like, uh, what happened? And Snyder says, like, excuse me, are you the principal here? No. What happened? <laughs> Same question. Yeah. But he's really, you know, he, he's been feeling threatened by Buffy since his entrance into the school. But we're seeing little seeds of that, I right, think. Right, right, right. Throughout. Um, so, 
Oh, sorry. No, I just, I want to take a moment because I had a question that I know you don't even have the answer for, but when Buffy opens her locker um, in this oh, yeah. part of the of the episode, there's a rose. There's like a dried rose inside of it. And that's just what you have in your locker when you're a girl in high school. I just Trust like, me. I wanted to remember, like, was there a moment when Angel gave Buffy a rose? But I, I we're pretty sure there wasn't. But there has to, I mean, that's like a, oh my God, what if the rose is from Giles? And then what if eventually when we see inside of Xander's locker, there's like some weird thing from Giles? A poem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody has a Giles like gift. Yeah, yeah, totem yeah. in their locker. Um, and also uh, just, a, I think an important thing when we're in the, when we're leaving the locker room, when Buffy goes into the locker room, rather, we see the first word, the first message from Marcy. Oh, right. Which is, look, look. Yeah. Look. Look. Written in blood, I guess. Spray paint. Yeah. They didn't go to any efforts to make it look bloody. And he didn't didn't. even bleed that much. He didn't bleed. Yeah, which is weird. But it's like the ghost, the invisible person, whatever, is toting around some spray paint. Yeah, it's just a floating can of spray paint. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yo. Yes. Group huddle in the cafeteria discussing what's going on. Xander's. Maybe it's a vampire bat. That's good. Great. Worked for me. A plus. <laughs> Love it. I'll be thinking about it when I go to sleep tonight. Jenny, always a fan of a dad joke. I'll take it. From the any port in a storm. Until the end of time. Also, I want to give a shout out to the food pyramid hanging on the wall in ah! the cafeteria. Very Remember 90s. Kooky pyramid? Very 90s. The food pyramid was like the definition of how you learned about food. Eat in the 9 to 12 servings of bread! Yeah, so much bread. They wanted you to All eat the bread! 1 million pounds of bread. No um, dead students in this school! Because <laughs> they're full of bread. Um, also, yes, Buffy's like doling out tasks and the task Willow gets tasked with is Compile a list of dead and missing yeah. kids. Wee! What which, a fun day. Which is going to be a long list at Sunnydale High School. Also true. Very long list that they have to sift through, although they wind up, top of the top of the stack was Marcy, so they didn't have to search very far. How convenient. Um, we also, so Harmony falls down the stairs, or rather gets pushed down the stairs, and we see these flashbacks, like, which are kind of weird in the episode. Like, I'm mm-hmm. not sure, I, I just don't, I'm not sure how necessary they are. I think they're necessary. Otherwise, we'd never see Clay Duvall. Right. We, that's true. We would never see Marcy. Except in the yearbook. Um, but the first one doesn't even feature. We just, I guess we just hear her voice. Um, I don't know. They, there was something about them that like rubbed me the wrong way. They, uh, they could have been smoother. Like I feel like they fall under the same umbrella as last week's episode as a whole episode fell under for me. Uh, yeah, like, a little they disjointed. They just needed some sanding. Right. You know, but uh, what you were saying, what was the fact you found about uh, the way that they were color treated? Oh, uh, in sepia or sepia. Is that how you say I that? I think it's sepia. Sepia, yeah. And it's the only time, according to my one fact check, that <laughs> sepia was used in the series to note a flashback. But the that wasn't, those two weren't in sepia. Maybe it's There like, are other ones that I think were in sepia tones, but the ones by the water fountain and the ones in... Maybe the, I think the one in the bathroom was sepia, but the one at the water fountain is just like a weird, hazy, like... Maybe it all come, falls under the same column and it's like different degrees or something. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Hmm. 
<laughs> um, so, right, Harmony gets pushed down the stairs. Yay. We see some of the, we start to see a little bits of the backstory mm-hmm. um, of, you know, we don't know Marcy We hear some yet, disembodied but. giggling. Yes, and some disembodied flute flute playing. Well, I don't know if you'd call it disembodied, but some flute flute playing. Some flouting. Some flouting. Um, also, there's a moment. Um, I just want to give like a tiny nod to a moment that Xander and Willow have because we've been talking about some of these like little bits of their characters that mm. are coming through. And when we had Gabby Dunn on, um, we she talked about the fact that this is one of the first times that we heard Xander talking about his like one of his family members being a janitor and that like right, right. he comes from like a low income family and that we're like tiny and there's a tiny little bit of this in this moment between Xander and Willow. Willow, where mm-hmm. Xander's like, Willow, do you want to come over for dinner? My mom's making her call the Chinese delivery store, or whatever. And Willow is like, ah, do you even have a stove? Right. Which is this other, it's like another tiny little yeah, breadcrumb. Yeah, small detail. Yep, on the, on the path to learning kind of like Xander's backstory, Xander's home life, um, and what have you. So mm-hmm, I mm-hmm, wanted mm-hmm. to give it a shout out. Um, actually, this is when the flute comes in is when... Right. What, when Cordelia's getting fitted for her May Queen gown when she hasn't yet been elected May Queen, and for some reason the gown fitting is taking place at school after hours yeah. in a Cinderella with with woodland creatures-esque <laughs> yeah. scene where everyone's like sort of glowing and she's like, uh, oh, the hem, uh. Oh. I mean, you know, I don't know. The way that the scene was set up, though, I, like, kind of enjoyed it. Like, it, No, I liked it, too. Yeah. It, but it's also ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. The way that, the way that high schoolers um, inhabit Sunnydale High School is in a very different way than I inhabited my own high school. I would have never been staying after hours. Right, like GTFO as soon as you can. I guess, although maybe that's not true because I did stay after hours for theater and was always, like – having a good time in like little rooms with my friends mm-hmm. and stuff like that so yeah I would say after to loiter yeah and so socialize it's like you know what are you gonna do go home go to the mall I mean sometimes Ooh, hanging mall. out <laughs> sometimes saying oh speaking of the mall what a great time oh yeah who isn't there somebody who's like always at the mall I think there is I think there is and I think her name is Kate Leth and I think it's about time that we dig into a little Buffy fashion watch it's time for our friend Kate So each week on Buffy Fashion Watch, I try to focus on one outfit to really delve into it or its history. But this week, I mean, if you thought there was a lot of Cordelia in the last one, this episode is so chock-a-block full of notable looks, I could barely comprehend it. Not only do we have present-day outfits for her and the Scoobies, but flashbacks. So let's run through some of the standout ensembles real quick. Top of the list for me is Cordelia's yellow belted dress with a matching headband and curls. It's very gorgeous. I love her May Queen look, but we don't really get to see it in all its glory. And side note, why does she have four girls sewing and designing it at school in the middle of the night? But I digress. So many people wear baby blue in this one, it must be mentioned. Cordelia's first appearance is in a colored baby blue mini dress, while Harmony walks beside her in what I would say is an ill-advised matching baby blue pants and jacket combo. It's it's something. Not only that, but we later see Buffy herself in a baby blue tank top and matching neckerchief. My favorite thing about this top is that it's inexplicably slit. I mean, not just from the neck down to the, the boobs, but from the waist up to the boobs. Okay, I know it was the 90s, but anyway. Oh, speaking of the 90s, Buffy wears an entirely leather outfit with brown lipstick. 
moving on. Willow, who I have not given enough time to this season, gets a very solid and utterly adorable outfit this episode, so let's spend a moment with her. She gets a black flowered dress, burgundy sheer tights, very stylish, black sneakers, and a hoodie. And if that wasn't adorable enough, she's also got these really cute braids that are have like elastics at the top and at the bottom. They're really, really sweet. It's almost too much. I love her. I'm glad to see her in something, you know, a little more standout. Lastly, before I go on forever, there's a tragedy here. This episode features Clea Duval, who, like many queers, I solidly credit with developing at least 20% of my sexual orientation, but she wears possibly my least favorite fashion trend, which is spaghetti straps over long-sleeved or t-shirts. And I know, I know, again, it was the 90s, but it's coming back. I've seen it in shop windows and catalogs and on people, and I, I don't know what to do. I want to accept everyone and their choices, and, and, you know, people should wear whatever makes them happy, but I have my limits. I gotta lie down. Until next time, I'll see you at the mall. That was our friend Kate. She gave you the Buffy fashion update. Oh, thank you so much for another educational and very fun installment of Buffy Fashion Watch, Kate Leth. Yes, thank you, Kate. Um, I want to just get us to what I believe is the sexual tension award-winning moment of this episode. Oh, yeah. Which is Giles Hart's angel forever. He is foppish. Oh, my goodness. Over angel. He can't get it together over <laughs> angel. Oh, tomes. Yeah, it's quite obvious. <laughs> not my area of expertise. He is. He's mm. like giggling in this scene and i have i will let you know because i like to let you know who else was up for the award obviously cordelia and buffy having that conversation through the door and yes scenes from which now. like oh, i'm gonna get to that scene in a second because what but yeah they have moments where cordelia's tied up buffy's untying oh, her yeah. there's some tension if you're gay like me there's tension <laughs> um but also i thought that cordelia and miss miller had a little bit of sexual tension uh, uh-huh. I think they have a very yeah. intense connection. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but by a landslide, Giles, Giles and, Angel and Angel take this Angel, one. if you will. <laughs> For all you shippers up there. Angel. <laughs> or ales. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, you slice it. They're definitely in love. Also, speaking of love, mm-hmm. one of, I think, my, like, uh, te- the te- one of the tenderest lines of season one, mm-hmm. I think, is Giles saying, a vampire in love with the Slayer. It's rather poetic. Yeah. After Angel's like, I can't see Buffy. It's too hard for me to be <sighs> around her. It is. It's actually, I read something about that line that we will see this line used in the previously ons uh, many times. Yeah. Oh, wait. We don't have previously ons on oh, the DVDs. We are, oh, man. Uh, well, if you're watching with previously ons, you'll you'll probably get to hear that line. Enjoy my a favorite f- line. A few more times. Um, and there's, you know, apart from sweet, sweet romance and heart eye emojis throughout the scene, there's some very important information that exchanges uh, hands between the, or exchanges brains. Right, like, however right. you want to say it. Um, because Angel knows where this Codex is what is that it contains a lot of uh, the com- the most complete collection of prophecy Pergamum related to the Slayer Pegasus. I'm going to call it the Pegasus Codex. There is that's not what it's called. I know, but doesn't it sound but, lovely? Yeah, it sounds great. Um, yeah, so we find out that Angel knows where this is. He's going to go get it for Giles. I mean, it's a, they have a whole thing. Giles is telling him about the Invisible Girl. Angel's like, "That's not really my bag." Giles is like, "Not me, me either, buddy. Yeah. We're in the same game." 
game, you and me. Wish we could go get a beer. Oh, God. Forget about this invisible girl business. Wow. Um, and then, okay, so, and then moving past this very highly erotic scene, <laughs> we, we go to the bathroom flashback, which is the first right, time right. we see Marcy. Right, right, right. Um, wearing an outfit that I wore oh so many times in my... Yeah, it's a straight up Angela Chase yes, original. Yes, it is. The, the white, the long white shirt, the long sleeved white shirt underneath a spaghetti strap dress. <laughs> Inexplicable. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> uh, so many times I wore the exact same outfit and, and probably was closer to a Marcy character in my days than I ever was close to a Cordelia character. So maybe mm-hmm. that was just, maybe they knew the wardrobe, the wardrobe <laughs> staff. They were like, we see all the girls who don't speak up for themselves in yes. the spaghetti straps over the white t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, Today's episode is brought to you by Regal Cinemas. If you're anything like me, you deeply enjoy going to the movies. Going to the movies is probably among my top three all-time activities. I love seeing films on the big screen. I also love being around other people who are watching the same movie with me at the same time. And of course, I love eating giant buckets of popcorn. If you feel the same and you like going to the theater, Regal Unlimited is something that just makes sense. Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two movie visits. You can see any standard 2D movie anytime, no blackout dates, no restrictions. When you want to watch a movie in 4DX or IMAX or RPX or ScreenX, there's so many ways to watch movies these days, your Regal Unlimited membership gets you into those premium experiences at a reduced cost. And with Regal Unlimited, you don't only save money on the tickets, you will also save on your snacks. And as previously mentioned, I love snacks. The only thing that can make me love a snack more is saving money on buying a snack. Members get 10% off of all non-alcoholic concession items with membership. Regal Unlimited, all you can watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two visits. So if you're planning to see two movies this month, join Regal Unlimited and sign up now. You can sign up in the Regal app or on regmovies.com slash unlimited. Sign up for Regal Unlimited using code buffering and earn 10% off your three-month subscription. Please let us know about all of the movies you see and how the popcorn is. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. But yeah, we um, 
we see we see Marcy, and then we hear, then we go right to Cordelia giving a speech. Oh my God! Being this like, popular is not just my right, but also my responsibility, and I want you to know that I take it very seriously. She's talking to like twelve people. Thank you for loving me so much. Oh, and Buffy is in her disguise. Oh my glasses. gosh! In her detective outfit. Oh, it's full. Din it, din it. Cue the Pink Panther theme. She's got like a huge magnifying glass in her pocket. She's really going for it. Um, oh, and then my next my next note is, oh no, Miss Miller. <laughs> because Miss Miller, of course, Miss Miller, I, I really don't feel like Miss Miller should have been a target here. Miss Miller seems like a phenomenal teacher. Yeah. I suppose she didn't call on Marcy that one time, but I'm just not buying it, Marcy. I'm not buying that Miss Miller ignored you for forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But she gets the old bag over the head. Yep, yep. Um, and then Cordelia finds her, and we get to see a really exciting moment of uh, disembodied chalk. Yep. Writing, listen. Listen. On the Second message. Listen. Listen. Oh, I also want to talk about Buffy's investigative skills leading <laughs> her to the telltale footprint in the band room, which, by the way, that band has won a lot of trophies. Yeah, great. Great so band. many band Sunday trophies. <laughs> I don't have any band trophies. Do you have any band Zero trophies? Zero band trophies. Zero. Bonkers. Yeah. So Buffy finds the footprint. It leads her up through the, what are those called? Those panels that drop oh, ceiling the, panels? Oh, like drops, yeah. She shimmies up there, discovers Marcy Ross's nest, which contains just the essentials, <laughs> a bed or sleeping bag that's made out of aluminum foil or something. <laughs> yeah, there's like uh, a heat a heat sleeping bag or a, something. A teddy bear, uh, flute sheet music, <laughs> and her hate book, her like revenge Aww, yearbook. Yeah. Oh, oh, I know, oh, I know, I know, I know. Sad. So those are the things that she has chosen to keep right. in her nest. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of n- narratives with that are in high schools where there's these hidden spaces like don't they crawl through the ceiling in the breakfast club too that's like how they get through the yeah that was never an actual possibility i mean let me tell you what happens if you go on top of a drop ceiling we see what happens later right 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 but buffy was buffy found the path but the supports i don't mean to the supports on a drop ceiling are not that strong (laughs) (laughs) all right well we'll just have to suspend our disbelief we will we will we will um, but yeah, so she retrieves and she brings down the yearbook as her, like, this was, it is Marcy, mm-hmm. it was Marcy's yearbook, and there's an irrefutable amount of evidence here that no one at this school knew who Marcy was. Because everybody wrote, have a nice summer, even Xander and Willow, who have no recollection of having four classes with her. So, I have a question. Yeah. Have you written Have a Nice Summer in anyone's yearbook? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't tell you who because I don't know who they were. Interesting. Like, I would never write that. It's true. It's a true fact. I mean, you, I might end a, a longer thought with Have a Good Summer, you know, but I would never just write Have a Great Summer unless I didn't, I didn't have feelings for this person of mm. any kind or... You know, or maybe I was like, I, I had never had a conversation with them. Interesting. The, I would never have asked somebody to sign my yearbook if I didn't 
know them. Well, but it's like, it's not that you don't know them at all. I mean, it's exactly the Marcy's, <clears throat> right? Or not the Marcy's, but like you, if I have a friend and they have a friend and you're kind of all together and you're signing each other's yearbooks, you might just inadvertently be like, have the yearbook of this person that you're like, I don't, right, I right. don't really know you at all. I don't know anything about you except for maybe the fact, I mean, they didn't know anything about Marcy, but you don't have anything to say like, wasn't it so funny that time in math class? Like, there's no way for you to like reference anything. Right. So you just say, have a great summer. Wow. You know? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Or you draw one of those S's with the three dashes oh, and the yeah. three dashes. And, and you then connect what do you it. use the S to spell? Just S. Maybe. Just one S. Stay cool. Stay cool. <laughs> <laughs> I my my go-to yearbook signing tactic was have a summer. I don't care what kind. Wow, Jenny. Because I believe in free will and I wanted them to experience whatever kind of summer was going to serve them on a journey towards personal growth. God, you were like the epitome of like the teenager like in all black. (laughs) Have a summer. I don't care what kind. I'm too cool for school, man. Yeah, what a dick. I'm busy. I have to go to Hot Topic, buy my Nirvana CDs. Um, how dare you? I mean, all of that is really cool stuff. I just... I would never buy a Nirvana CD at Hot Topic. No, I... What? There were two separate clauses. Oh! <laughs> um, I happen to also be a child of the 90s, and I'm fully aware that you cannot buy Nirvana CDs in a Hot Topic. Well, like, you could. No. Yeah. You could buy a Nirvana t-shirt in a Hot Topic. They had CDs at my Hot Topic. Really? Yeah, and vinyl. Huh. I actually have a Mighty Mighty Boston 7-inch that came from Hot Topic. Wow. You're welcome. I saw the Universe. Mighty Mighty Boston's in concert with the Violent Femmes, so... That sounds <gasps> No, rowdy. I didn't. No, I'm lying to you. I did not see the Mighty Mighty Boston's. I Who saw... Um, uh, got another bee in my bonnet. Uh, they Might Be Giants. Oh, with, with Violent Femmes. Mm-hmm. It was a fan-fucking-tastic concert. That's it was one of the best deal. shows I've ever seen as a young human. Um, sounds right. That it, checks out. It wasn't the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. They were all in the same, they were all in the same, yeah. like, bin at yeah. that time, anyhow. Um, but yeah, anyhow, Jenny, good. <laughs> Thank you for that uh, fact about your yearbook. You're welcome. Um, and then we get, and then we get Cordelia, who has realized, right, she's seen Miss Miller go down. She's seen Mitch go down. She's seen Harmony literally go down. The dots are connected. And for once in Cordelia's life... When she says, it's all about me, (laughs) me, 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 she is 100% correct. God, I love the way that she comes in and makes her appeal. Like, it's just still so on brand. It is. Hey, I know we've had our differences with you being, like, a total weirdo who hangs out with losers. (laughs) But I know that we both have the same feeling deep down inside. Assumably, that feeling is Cordelia is great. They both have the feeling that Cordelia is great and worth saving. Right. But but there's a crack in Cordelia's resolve, and I think it starts in this scene in the library. Because she is, it, it is on brand. It's not like all of a sudden Cordelia is like super respectful of anyone else but herself. <laughs> but, but she does have a, a moment here where she's like, I didn't know where else to turn. 
And right. I know you're strong and I know you have all those weapons. And I think this is really important because I will tell you what, I am an expert in human beings who say they're not paying attention, who pretend they're too cool for fucking school, but they pay attention to every little fucking detail. Mm. And this is what I have picked up on right in this moment with Cordelia. Mm-hmm. Is that for the whole series, she has been pretending that she doesn't notice a goddamn thing. She's just like, I'm too busy. I'm too popular. I care nothing about you, you small peons mm-hmm, below mm-hmm. me. And yet in this one sentence in the library, she gives it up. She lets yep. us know, actually, Cordelia is paying attention. Actually, Cordelia does know what the fuck is up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it, you know, and we'll see this. I mean, maybe we can start to just dig into this piece of Cordelia that we're really seeing here because as many of you know Cordelia is a woman of many layers Mm. Uh, and And how and how and this is I think this is the point in this episode I will say to you all that I really wanted to play the Cordelia song so many times during this episode because I do feel it's warranted more than once but I've held my self-control in check um, and so till I, now, till now, waiting for this perfect moment. I've been waiting for this perfect moment. I think this is the moment when I would like us to explain our love for dear, dear Cordelia. Cordelia, I love you, Cordelia. You're perfect, Cordelia. So. Before <laughs> diving right back into why we love Cordelia, I do want to let everybody know that um, if you would like to wake up bathed in the dulcet Cordelia <laughs> tunes uh, sung by my wife, Jenny Owen Youngs, uh, you can purchase that ringtone on iTunes. What do they do? Uh, they just look well, up Cordelia? Currently, it's just available for iPhone users. and You mm-hmm. want to go into your iTunes store on your phone and go into ringtones and search Cordelia and look for our single. Our <laughs> single. Our ringtone. Our single. Our Cordelia. hot new single. Currently <laughs> at radio, climbing the charts. <laughs> hey, if that shit was on radio, it would be climbing the charts. Okay. Tell you what. Um, I also love that she says, when she's talking about um, Marcy, who they don't know too much about yet, right? She's evil, okay? Way eviler than me. Yeah, yeah. Way eviler yeah. than me. Yeah, she, she, because she's aware. I mean, that's the thing is... Cordelia isn't just a mean girl. She's a self-aware mean girl. Intentionally mean She is intentional about everything, about her popularity, which we Mm. hear earlier in her speech. She takes it with great responsibility. Uh Um, But yeah, and and there's also another moment in the library with with her where um, there's sort of like, oh, well, Marcy's probably going to target you at the coronation, you know, at this like May Queen Mm -hmm. thing. At the bronze. Which, by the way, why? Why is it at the bronze? Why is the May Queen budgetary concern? The bronze. They do everything else at the high school, and mm-hmm. they're like, you know, what would be a great idea. Let's do this at the bar. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, but but they sort of say, uh, well, maybe we should cancel it, right? Maybe we should stop this because then Marcy won't have her chance to carry out whatever plan she has. And Cordelia is like, absolutely not. If we stop this, then she'll win, you know? And only Cordelia wins in Cordelia's narrative. Right, but but there's, but there's more to it than that, right? Mm. That Cordelia isn't this person who's like, um, oh, I'm really scared now, so I'm going to stop because, you know, I do want this thing, but somebody might kill me, so I'm afraid and I'm going to just not go after it. She's like, right. I don't care. 
I win no matter what. I will fight no matter what. Yeah. In her case, this means uh, fighting for her May Queen crown. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, okay, here comes the moment, right? This is why we played the song, because we were leading up to this moment. Oh, yeah. Where Buffy and Cordelia are in the school hallway. Yeah. Oh, boy. And Buffy is talking to Cordelia about being popular. And Cordelia has this whole, like, monologue. I mean, it's, it's you know, Buffy has some lines in it, too. But it's really a Cordelia monologue where she's explaining that she is incredibly alone. And that just because she's surrounded by people all the time doesn't mean that she is not alone. Um, and, and Buffy has this moment where she says, like, well, then why, right? Like, if you, if these are the, if these are, is this really the way that you feel, then why do you surround yourself with these people that, that you're telling me, like, don't understand who you are and don't really know you? And Cordelia says, well, it beats being alone all by yourself. Cordelia. Yeah. Like, oh my God, right? I typed a violin emoji in my notes at this point. <laughs> But really, it's so it's like sad and also really like really beautiful and poignant is that like essentially what Cordelia is saying in this moment is that we're all alone mm-hmm. ultimately. And she would prefer for her aloneness to be surrounded by human beings mm-hmm. instead of being alone physically as well, which is like really sad, but also really powerful. And I don't know. I just I feel like Cordelia in this moment doesn't know that she can be surrounded by people who care about her and who do understand her. For her right now, it's an option of being alone physically and emotionally or being um, alone physically but, like, emotionally being surrounded by people who don't get her. Like, those are her only two options, and she hasn't yet uncovered that there's a third option where people will um, appreciate her and understand her and, you know, better her all around. I don't know. I mean, this definitely goes up in my, in my ranking of scenes from this season mm-hmm. to vary to the tip top, um, because I think it's beautiful and I think it's v- very real. Yeah. V- hyper self-aware. Yeah. And the, and the two of them, right? And and there's this dynamic that we've talked about between Cordelia and Buffy, too, is really played out in this episode where mm-hmm. um, you're seeing Buffy looking at Cordelia, who is, like, really, like, kind of the person Buffy was before. Um, right. Right, before she knew she was the Slayer, before she carried this burden. And there's, like, a wistfulness and, like, a longing right. for that simplicity and that, like, what have you. But then at the same, at the same turn, you're sort of, seeing Cordelia and that it isn't just simple. It isn't just, you know, carefree where Cordelia lives either. Right. And also I think we're seeing Buffy seeing not just her old self, but like starting to, you know, these newer or deeper layers are coming into focus for her. And like, I think like we see her kind of like wanting to, even though she's like, ugh, I can't stand this person. She kind of wants to reach out uh, and and gain a sense of community mm-hmm. with this person. Yeah. But it's not possible, right, at this moment in time for several reasons. One of the, the reasons <laughs> is that Cordelia has no way of, like, conceptualizing what Buffy's life actually is in right. total. She has no idea the weight uh, that Buffy carries mm-hmm. at this point. And another reason that it can't happen right now is that Marcy is dragging Cordelia away. Yeah, which, why does Buffy leave Cordelia in the broom closet is what I want to know. Like, 
It does. It doesn't. Oh my god. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up. Okay, great. sorry because I have Jenny's gonna... extreme notes about yeah. it. Sorry, I'm <laughs> extreme notes. Buffy looks around the mop closet and is like, "Oh, this seems okay. Just hurry up." But first of all, there's a human. So you're off the. Charts. I'm so loud. I'm sorry. First to... of all, there's a human-sized locker inside the mop closet that she doesn't even glance at. Wait, twice. there's a what? There's a human-sized locker uh-huh. inside the mop closet that a person could be inside of oh. but she doesn't even look at it and second of all the girl that's trying to kill cordelia is invisible I how know. can you look around and be like this seems fun. yeah right and also like why would you leave the room i just feel like it's a pretty standard thing for girls to change girls love to change in the same room as each other right. from what i have experienced so and this is why I, I lean towards some sexual tension for the two of them because oh right i will tell you that i only leave the room when i'm feeling a little bit of uh uncomfortability SC. around my sexual tension Wow, I hope nobody that you have discomfort re-sexual attention around is listening to this podcast. They're like, I remember that time in seventh grade when she left the room. <laughs> um, but yeah, so why, Buffy, did you leave her? Then, of course, up goes Cordelia. Buffy gets a floating syringe to the neck. Um, which, by the way, Oof. Marcy has just unfettered access to all the medical supplies that she needs for all of these moments, right? She has... A syringe yeah, full yeah, yeah, of yeah. sleep medication. And then later, just, well, she's got that big doctor's bag. Yeah. Which maybe her dad is a doctor. Maybe her dad's a doctor. As we're gathering, much of Sunnydale is full of lawyers and doctors. Right, right, right. Um, so we see uh, Giles, Willow, and Xander here, you know, flute. They're like, oh, where's that spooky flute music coming from? <laughs> we must all follow it into. The boiler room? Well, like, and, and like another subset of the boiler room, because this is not the same boiler room that uh, Laura was smoking in just a bit ago. Right, right. This is the, a different boiler the room. Under, the underbelly of the Sunnydale High School is labyrinthine. Yes. And this is just another nook. A nook <laughs> that is now locked, and a nook which is filling up with the gas that Marcy has turned all the way up. Way harsh, Marcy. Yeah, Marcy really goes... Way harsh. You are off the deep end. Marcy goes hard. Marcy goes hard, but we talked about what it's like to to be a marginalized human. Yes. Uh, to be ignored and left alone. It, it ignites wells of anger that sometimes cannot be controlled. Yep. Marcy, yep. I, I do wish that you would unlock the Scoobies, but luckily... <laughs> our vampire friend, Angel, who does not need oxygen, which... Thank goodness. Do we know that? Because I, uh, I, I think the reflection and the not needing oxygen might be both new, new facts for Buffy specific lore right. introduced. Obviously, in this we know you know if you if you are familiar with vampiric lore, mm-hmm. you have some of these things in your back pocket. But but in Buffy, I do think yeah, this is the first time that we learn Angel doesn't doesn't need oxygen, doesn't you know breathe, um, right? And that and that he can't see his own reflection. Sympathizing a bit with Marcy in that moment, Aww. actually. Also, let's not miss. Marcy barreling into Buffy while she's still <laughs> above the drop ceiling. Yeah. She goes plowing through, downward, uh, through a drop ceiling tile like yes. we knew she like would. Like we knew she would. They're not and very then supportive. straight down through, RIP, another breakable table yes. by dust. My note was, nice fall, Buff. Apparently <laughs> I've gotten very comfortable with her. And now I've dropped the Y right off of her name. How rude. Buff. Okay. <gasps> So now here's where shit gets really questionable. 
Because how in the holy fuck did Marcy get them? Did to an the invisible girl move two visible girls from the high school to the bronze? She's gonna lug them outside into a vehicle. She's gonna invisibly drive the vehicle. <laughs> big holes. Yeah. Big holes. Big Swiss holes. cheese. Okay, but then. But then they're tied up. And Cordelia's like, I can't feel my face when I'm with you. <laughs> but I love it. And so she does not love it. She does not love she it. She does at all. not love it. Um, so this is an intense scene. There's like a scalpel just like like slicing through the air. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very clear uh through their conversation that Marcy is unraveling more and more and more. She's basically just just a pile of yarn now. She's mm-hmm. yeah. She's there's gone. no ravel left. She's gone. And and you know we skipped by this this moment, which was actually an overdubbed recording, like an overdubbed moment in the episode where um, Giles says to Buffy, like, "Hey, you're gonna have to listen." Like, sort oh, right. of like elbows her, like, "Hey, you might have to actually listen to beat this this villain this time." Um, <laughs> but 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 it really comes into play here because okay, so Cordelia's in the chair. Everybody's tied up. The you know Marcy's going bananas at Cordelia telling her how she's going to make her the most memorable May Queen that has ever been seen. It's very... Her smile should be wider. Her smile should be very disturbing stuff. And all the while Buffy is, you know, inching closer to the table of knives, gets herself free from the ropes, and now is, like, in battle with Marcy. Marcy doesn't even need to be a very good fighter because she's invisible, so she Mm -hmm. can constantly just sneak up on Buffy, but there's this incredible scene or like piece of the scene where it's like I wrote down that it was like very karate kid like there was it's like the music changes it's very quiet she tells Buffy Buffy helps the directors here and says shut up Cordelia yes (laughs) shuts Cordelia up and then the camera is like doing this kind of like panning thing the wind hair is blowing even though she's inside the bronze and I don't know if you noticed this but one of the things hanging on the wall of the bronze where we're seeing the back of Buffy's head and she's listening is an eye there's just a painting of an eyeball. Oh, interesting. That's like fa- facing like the direction that Marcy is standing. What? Which I thought was really fucking cool. Look, listen, learn. Look, listen, learn. And she, of course, hears that one tiny little noise that Marcy makes. And punches her and right out. Punches her right out. Blanket goes over Marcy. And in comes the men in black. Oh, yeah. Thank goodness Marcy just happens to tumble right through a velvet curtain yeah, so we well, can see exactly where her shape is. No, hey, it's okay. Buffy knows her way around uh, flags and velvet. Remember when she oh, when, yes. remember when she grabbed that flag, put it over She's the self-combusted? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she knows her way around a drape. I like, <laughs> I like your reference, because I had a reference in my mind, too. Your reference was the Karate Kid. My reference was, I think, Bloodsport. Which is, is that? Which is one of the, like, 75 different Jean-Claude Van Damme VHS tapes <laughs> oh that my occupied my house that I just watched end on end throughout my childhood. And if I'm remembering correctly, uh, in Bloodsport, there's this, like, scene where he, like, gets a lot of blood in his eyes and he has to, like, fight oh, in, the, like, in, the, in the, you know, right. in the climactic battle scene. Right, he has right. to, like, fight somebody just... Using his ears. Now that I've said all of this, it's entirely possible I've confused it with the plot of some other Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. I'm sure they'll forgive you, Jenny. Thanks, guys. <laughs> but yeah, so it's a really, it's a good moment. And then the men in black come in. Who Ugh, we... FBI creeps. We assume they're we FBI, We assume right? they were FBI, but like, then I'm not so sure. I don't know. They, they come probably in any... sub-FBI, like... 
Some they division take of Marcy, the FBI that nobody is allowed to know about. Yeah, they take her to their, which is like this weird little X-Men moment. Yo, that is like, that actually, speaking of X's, like I was like, this is straight out of the X-Files. Oh, the X-Files, right. It's X-Files and, also, and X-Men. X-Men. Yeah, in perfect union. All the X's. Um, yeah, because it is X-Files too. I actually, I had a note um, that I, I wondered where... Like, time-wise, when was the X-Files on? Was it on right now? Yeah, it started before. And it and it continued through. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, it did feel very X-Files-y, but it also, you know, it's like, it was like the school for the invisible children. That's totally X-Men. Right. Um, <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, that happens, and then we go um, back to the school where all is, all is right at the Hellmouth again momentarily. Um, and Cordelia has an, another moment. Where she goes over to the Scooby gang. To say thanks. To say thank you. A genuine, heartfelt Cordelia thank you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Shocking all of us, including Xander. <laughs> um, and then, of course, just so we're not too confused, Mitch comes over and says, you're not speaking to these losers, are you? And she says, oh my gosh, of course not. I was just giving them fashion advice. I was being, what does she say? Like <laughs> Charitable. Charitable, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we know that Cordelia is still Cordelia after all, but <laughs> we've, we've cracked open a little piece of her. This mm-hmm. was a very important episode for Cordelia. Um, and so maybe some of you now that were a little bit confused about my deep love, our deep love for Cordelia mm-hmm. are starting to see a little bit of where we're going with that. Um, Maybe Marcy just wanted us to look, learn, and listen about about Cordelia's character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Marcy. Thanks, Marcy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I guess that about wraps up this episode. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, which means that guess how many we have left for this season? Just one more in season one. <laughs> season 12. <laughs> <laughs> one more episode left in season one, the grand finale next week. Holy crap. Wow. You think we can do it? I think we can do it. I'm so excited. I don't even know what happens. Oh, my gosh. Woo. I do. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. So before we sign off... We wanted to share something special with everybody, mm-hmm. right? We reached out on social media, as you do, mm-hmm. and we asked some of you if you would share with us ways in which you have felt seen by watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We thought, you know, this whole episode was about Marcy literally disappearing when people didn't pay attention to her. And we're paying attention to you. Heaven forbid you were to disappear. Goodness. It would just be the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we did it kind of on the fly. Um, we only had like a 12-hour turnaround to get the recordings in. And uh, we wanted to share a couple of them with you and also use this as a call to ask you a question, a new question for an episode that we'll put up in between season one and season two. Mm-hmm. So before we get there... Let's share with you two of the answers that we received from you all on on the question, how does Buffy the Vampire Slayer make you feel seen? I'm Tess and I'm from Guildford in the UK and I started watching Buffy a couple of years ago because there is a certain character who later on in the series uh, comes out as queer and that was why I started watching it and seeing that character in those storylines was the first time that I'd been able to see myself in media, really. And so it was a big deal for me. I'm Felicia Wheat from Houston, Texas, and Buffy has helped me be seen in Anya. I identify with Anya because 
I understand the inability to always know what to say or do or how to say or do something in certain social situations. And I identify with her her lack of ability to follow these social norms that don't necessarily have any logic to them. They're just what we do. And I appreciate that that's given time and shown to an audience. Thank you so much to Tess and Felicia and everybody else who sent us a voice memo regarding this question. Yes, and Felicia, you got Jenny all sorts of excited with your answer, just so you know. Some of you may not know who or what Anya is. (laughs) But oh, you will. Indeed. So um, again, before we sign off, we just want to ask all of you listening if you would like to be a part of this episode that we'll put up um, sometime, you know, between December 7th and January something, mm-hmm. um, if you could send us a voice memo of yourself answering the question, what is your favorite moment from season one and why, then we'll put together an episode around your responses. And if you could keep your your um, voice recordings to about the one minute-ish mark, uh, give or take, that would be super helpful for us in getting as many of them in an episode as we can and being able to talk about your favorite moments. So you can, um, you know, use your iPhone or whatever is easiest for you to record your voice on um, and send us that file to bufferingthevampireslayer at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for listening, guys. I am Jenny Owen Youngs, and when I'm not watching Buffy, I'm usually writing and recording music. You can learn more about me at JennyOwenYoungs.com buffering, where I have taken the liberty of curating a small playlist of some of my favorite non-Buffy songs that I've written over the years. You can also give me a shout at uh, Jenny Owen Youngs on Twitter. And I'm Kristen Russo. You can find me also over on Twitter at Kristen Nolene, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E. And when I'm not talking about Buffy or podcasting with my wonderful wife, I work to bring advice, resources, and laughter to LGBTQ young people and their families over at everyoneisgay.com and mykidisgay.com. As I have been saying lately, please share those resources with those you know and love because they are important and they will become increasingly so, I believe, over the next several years. Mm-hmm. Buffering the Vampire Slayer is on Twitter at BufferingCast and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash BufferingCast. You can email us at BufferingTheVampireSlayer at gmail.com. Yes, and we are we are doing our very best to get back to as many of you as we can. I do want to <laughs> say, it's a beautiful thing, though. Yes. So many of you are writing us notes, um, some of which will be featured on a mailbag episode um, in between seasons, some of which we can respond to um, using our keyboards and our hearts. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But we do want you to know that we are seeing everything that comes through there and are so thankful for all of that chatter. It's so awesome to be in conversation with you. For sure. If you like what we do, you can now support us by heading over to bufferingthevampireslayer.com and clicking on the donate button. Uh, You can also support us by going over to iTunes and leaving us a positive review. Those are awesome. They let people know that we are the real deal, you know? (laughs) We're doing good stuff over here. Um, And last but certainly not least, especially in this season of giving, you can support us by uh, buying yourself a Buffering the Vampire Slayer 
t-shirt or a uh, cordette or slayerette pin, enamel pins. We have those for sale in our store, which you can find at bit.ly slash shop buffering, or you can just click on the store link on the website itself. All right. Till next time. I feel like our howls are really evolving. (laughs) Well, it's May Queen season, not like Cordelia needs a reason to act like royalty. Somebody no one can find appears to have an axe to grind with her literally. Boyfriend Mitch was attacked by a floating wooden baseball bat. Her best friend Harmony was pushed down the stairs by a girl unseen. Yeah, she's mad and mean since she went out of mind and out of sight. We're poor Miss Miller. Glad you didn't kill her, now on to surgery Are you tied up, Cordelia? If I listen hard, I'll hear you Catch you in the draperies The suits are here to take you in Cordelia's acting like a friend Sorry, Marcy, that we made you fade To a girl unseen So mad and you went out of mind out of sight Just a girl unseen So mad at me Since you went out of mind out of sight Out of sight We are the hosts of Comic Sans, the podcast about comics for those who are sans knowledge. I'm Yen, a reader, writer, liver, and breather of comic books. And I'm Nat, and I know absolutely nothing about comics. Which makes both of us authorities in our respective fields. Exactly. Hey, wait. On Comic Sans, I make Nat read some of my favorite comics, including Sandman Saga and Laura Olympus. And Yen tells me what makes that comic special. Then I hear what Nat thinks, and I try to avoid a pulmonary embolism. While I actively try to give him one. Listen to Comic Sans on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can already binge our first season, and we just released a special bonus episode on Across the Spider-Verse. Hey, Nat, before we go, I'll give you 50 bucks if you can tell me what Comic-Con is. Is it related to Chili Con Carn? Do you mean chili con carne? Maybe we should be chili sands.